Good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. It is Friday. I am thankful that it is Friday. This has been a very long week and a very tumultuous week. And um, for obvious reasons, uh, world events have my heart a bit heavy. Um, and I've wrestled quite a bit with whether or not to get into the conflict in Israel this morning and some particulars about it. Um, I've twice prepped a show about it on a Tuesday night. I prepped a show for Wednesday, um, but I was sick and uh, not too sick. It was mostly a man flu, um, but I decided, I decided no, not to do it, obviously. And I didn't do a show on Wednesday. And again, last night I was prepping a show and, um, considering whether or not to get into the Israel conflict. And I've pretty well decided to, to not do that today. I feel like, um, emotions are still way too high and I feel, and I, and this is definitely feeling being, being candid here. It's just my sense. Uh, my feelings are that emotions are pretty high right now across the community from multiple directions and that uh, suddenly a bunch of people are Middle East experts <laughs> and uh, also Photoshop experts and also experts at forensic evidence gathering. And um, I'm just I'm finding it very frustrating and disappointing. So instead of getting into all of that, um, and I do have a lot to say on it. I mean, I, I really do have a lot to say on it, but I, I'm having a hard time uh, maintaining my cool on this matter. Uh, because like I said on the Devolution Power Hour, I don't want the U.S. deploying troops and the U.S. getting into another forever war. I don't want a bunch of aid being spent for another state to engage in a forever war. And I don't want handouts of uh, billions of dollars, even to our allies. I don't want handout handouts of billions of dollars, but I do want hostages rescued. Even if that means deploying us special operations forces to go and get them. And I do want Islamo Nazis dead where they stand because there's no negotiating with a person who wants you dead. And Israel's enemy in this war are the same enemies we have. It's the death cult of Islamo Nazism, which is why the Nazis went to the Middle East and made a bunch of allies there in world war two, because they have a similar ideology and um, caught in between the forces of sovereignty and the forces of individual freedom, the sides of individual freedom, religious freedom, economic freedom. On one side, those being America, Europe to a certain extent, Israel, other Mideast nations such as Saudi Arabia, UAE, other Mideast nations that are coming along 
um, that are having their own enlightenment uh, period right now. Uh, a lot of that thanks to the Abraham Accords, and a lot of it thanks to the U.S. pulling out of the Middle East. Um, all of those nations are at war with an enemy that is decentralized and that is antithetical. It is their ideology is absolutely anti-freedom and anti-liberty um, in all respects. And caught in between are a bunch of civilians, Palestinian civilians, Israeli civilians. And it's just a really nasty situation and war is unavoidable. I was listening to a Jocko Willink podcast uh, earlier talking about the situation. He started off with a quote from Blood Meridian. And I'm not, I mean, I'll, I'll butcher the quote if I try and repeat it. But it's basically the quote was saying that war was here before man was here and war was waiting for man to use it and to perfect it. So, instead of getting into all of that, I think what we're going to do today is we're going to get into some documents because I like, I like, uh, I like documents, and I like fo focusing on some crime-fighting news. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I bet I think that's probably Michigan White, nineteen sixty-three. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, careful, just even you're getting pulled into it. That's right. I am. Uh, so I do, um, I'm going to share the podcast I was listening to later. It was with Jocko Willink and the Twitter account Martyr Made. Um, they have, they, it's a very good podcast, um, on the Middle East conflict and, um, coming from a group of, of guys that are, that have much experience in warfare in the Middle East and, um, have a great deal of empathy for the people involved in it and a great deal of um wisdom and insight so this morning we have some documents to get into we have some um we have some swamp draining news and we'll just see where it goes i am having a little bit of trouble with a uh, court listener and i'm not sure exactly what's happened but it's going to provide an opportunity for me to show you guys how to use pacer i think or at least for me to fumble my way through Pacer and you guys to laugh at me as I figure it out and maybe learn something. Um, one piece of housekeeping, well, two pieces of housekeeping news um, that I need to tell you guys because this has happened. One, one, I need to tell you that this is the third week in a row that I've only done a Friday show. And what's going on, if you remember, if you were following me and watching my shows back in the spring, early summer, I floated the idea about possibly doing recorded shows. And the reason was I was, I knew that once my wife started her new job, she would be traveling a lot and she would also be working from home a lot. And the dynamic and the routine of our house was going to change. And that has happened. And, um, I threw two puppies into the mix, which also changed the routines quite a bit. Uh, that's my fault. Um, but that's we're at that place now where it's become very difficult for me to maintain a Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning show, either because of something going on with the kids or because my responsibilities pull me elsewhere. 
Um, or because she's out of town for part of the week and my evenings where I usually prep aren't as, uh, I don't have as much time to prep a show. Uh, it's just a multiple, multiple things. So I was talking with her about it, uh, kind of, kind of venting to her about it. And I might start doing recorded shows because I, I want to keep putting content out on my channel and I kind of figure that some content is better than no content. So I may try some recorded episodes soon. And cause, cause my availability to prep a show and then my, my time slot availability to do a show is a little unpredictable for me right now. Um, and so that's, that's where, that's where I'm at. And that's why you're getting Friday shows is because the past three weeks, my wife hasn't had to work at all on Fridays and it's been, she's been completely free. So after we do kids soccer practice on Thursday evening and get dinner and stuff, I have time to prep and then I, I have Fridays available to me. So, um, anyway, that's, what's been going on and I haven't given up on trying. It's just, it just hasn't been working out now. Um, I want to show one other piece of housekeeping. This, this keeps happening with the shows because rumble has made some changes with how they display when the show is going live. So I just want to show you guys, this is, this has to do with my show, but of course every show you watch on rumble, um, it's no longer putting the start time of the show. Like when you, when I pre-schedule a show, just the way Rumble works, I have to, or any content creator on Rumble, if you want to go live on Rumble, you have to upload a video that's under 60 seconds as a placeholder first and schedule it. And then you go live at the time that you scheduled. And it used to put it right over here in, why can't you, why isn't my mouse showing? I don't know why my mouse isn't showing right now. Let me see. There it is. Okay. You used to put it right over here under the the rumble and the settings and the minimize screen above the like button cluster over here. And it used to have it in red, just like the viewer count. And it would say that the show starts at this particular time. What they've done is they've gotten rid of that and they've moved it way down here to this area. And it's very, very tiny. No matter what you do, it's very, very tiny. And it tells you the time the show goes live right above the description here, right below locals and right above where I have my description. The font size is about six and it tells you the time the show goes live and it gives you a countdown timer, which I like that it gives that information, but I hate that it's so tiny and it just, it goes unnoticed. It took me forever to find it when they first made this change. So I'm just letting you guys know that that's where you can find where the show goes live. It's that information is right over here. People have suggested to me putting the start time in the title of the show or making a thumbnail, a unique thumbnail video for each show that tells you the start time. The second one I like a lot. That's the most elegant. That's the most professional solution. Um, but it's, quite a bit. It's, I mean, it's extra work. It is extra work. It's extra time on the computer, making an image, creating a video, putting it up there and then doing that for each show. Um, so 
I'm just letting you guys know, look right here in this area. The reason that I upload, I, I post the show about, I try, my goal is if I'm going live that next morning, I try and post the placeholder video at 12 hours before I go live. So if I'm going live on 9.30 a.m. like I typically do, then around 9.30 p.m. is when I post it that I'll be going live the next morning. And I do that because your notification set settings on Rumble, um, you can set Rumble to give you a notification instantly, or you can set it to give you a notification daily of or weekly, I think. I think those are the three options of when you get notified that one of the channels you follow is going to put up a video. And so I do it 12 hours before so that if you have your setting on daily, like I think most people do, it's what I have anyway, um, you'll get that notification, hopefully. So anyway, I'm just letting, this is inside stuff, uh, just trying, like ease of use, trying to help you guys out a little bit because I've had to figure it out too for the content I want to consume. So, um, all right. So before we get to the documents, and yeah, TRP, yeah, I use the same bumper every time. The same intro video, if that's what you mean. Um, so, all right. So good morning, everybody. Glad y'all are here. And um, before we get into the documents, this is a user-supported user show. Everything I do is free. I don't have any paid advertisers. Um, I'm not paid by Rumble or anything. Everything I do is free and I rely on you guys deciding you want to support what I do through a number of means. You can find all those ways to support the show and also all of my social links over on my link tree, which is in the description of this video and all of my socials. Th those ways are by going to the Substack. That's the that's the very best way, justhuman.substack.com. That's where also where I do the podcast version of the show. It's typically available about 90 minutes to two hours after um, the, the video version finishes. I rip the audio and upload it to Substack. The Substack player is pretty great, but if you have a preference on a different podcast player, you can easily set it up to feed the show to that podcast player. And a paid, everything on here is free, but a paid subscription to my Substack is the best way to support the show. And it's pretty much just as good. I got to say, they, the, 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 the same percentage pretty much of your dollar makes it to me from Substack as with Buy Me A Coffee. Now, I used to have a buymeacoffee.com link, but then Media Matters wrote a hit piece about me and a bunch of other people and buymeacoffee.com folded, uh, you know, like a wet paper bag. And so now I have Ko-Fi um, or coffee, Ko-Fi, however you want to say it. I think of it as Ko-Fi because like hi-fi, lo-fi, that's what it reminds me of. Anyway, if you're interested in buying me some coffee, you can go here. And thank you very much to everybody who has bought me cups of coffee. I do appreciate it very much. And I also appreciate all the comments on here. Um, there are definitely days, I will be very honest, there are definitely days where these nice little notes that people leave are um, very much needed. Uh, and that goes for me and also other content creators out there. There are some, there are some difficult weeks out there for us. Uh, this has been one of them. Another place you can support the show if you would like an item in return is over at redwhitebourbon45.com. Get yourself some of my merch. 
The best merch item, in my opinion, is the understanding is greater than reacting coffee mug. There's also an affiliate link in the description and on my link tree for Benson Honey Farms. I love these guys' products. Um, I love their honey. This candy is way too addictive and I shouldn't be eating any candy, but I can't help it. And man, when your throat's a little bit sore or scratchy, this candy is so much better than a cough drop. And I love their soaps. I really feel like their soaps are almost as good as their honey. I got to say their goat milk soap. It's almost as good as, as their coffee is. I love it so much. Um, I like bar soaps. Some people like the gels and stuff. I think that stuff's weird. I like, I like bar soap. And also finally, I've part, I've recently partnered with uh, bootleg products. There's an affiliate link on my link tree and in the description of the show. If you're interested in getting some salsa or some seasonings, I love all the products that I have tried from here and I haven't tried their chili yet, but my information is that their homemade chili is actually their number one selling product. So if you click on the affiliate link, either in the link to the description of the show and then go shop and make a purchase, a couple dollars gets sent my way because you chose to make a purchase after clicking my link. All right. With all of that out of the way, let's first deal with some fake news. And good morning to everybody watching over on Pilled. Appreciate y'all. I have the chat pulled up. And Sergeant Sparky, nice gift. Nice gifts. Wow. Sergeant Sparky and I are on the same, same, uh, same meta layer sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like your choices this morning. Um, Boys Blanc 89, thank you for the cookie. Much appreciated. All right. So we got some, um, some fake news going around. Earlier this week, a number of big accounts and small accounts, but some pretty big accounts on, on X, formerly Twitter, and then multiple media outlets, including AP, and of course, the clickbait uh, websites that are popular on the right, ran a story saying that Hunter Biden's gun charge had been dropped. And there was much hand-wringing and moaning and crying about, of course, of course, Hunter Biden's getting off. This is terrible. There's two-tier justice, blah, 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 blah. All the same complaints that we're used to hearing and that are predictable. But the thing is, it's not exactly true. They left out half the story. Um, so it is true that the gun charge that was brought on January on June 20th, 2023 was dismissed. That is true. But what's also true is that there are still the three new charges. And I feel like everybody like, and I can, I can have some sympathy for this because the news cycle is so insane right now. And there's, I mean, it's just, it's not like drinking out of a water hose. It's like multiple fire hoses are coming at you with information just knocking you over with it. So I can forgive people for like kind of forgetting this, but it was like thousands and thousands and thousands of people completely forgot that Hunter Biden was indicted back on September 14th for three new felonies. And he went from having one misdemeanor 
to having three felonies. And I'm sure my audience didn't forget because we went over all this and uh, we're, we're excited about it. Um, but it's, it's like, it's like everybody has the memory of a goldfish. And so they read the headline that Hunter buying gun charge dismissed and just started moaning about it. But there you go. The reason and it was all you had to do was go to the documents, right? As always, all you got to do is go to the document. So you go to the document right here, asking for a dismissal, which was really easy to do, right? So first thing, October 4th, or yeah, October 4th, that's the order that dismissed it. That's when the news story started up. If you go and look at the request from David Weiss, it says that the government is required to seek a return of an indictment by a federal grand jury by September 28th, 2023. The government did so on September 14th. Thus, the criminal information that was filed back on June 20th, 2023 should be dismissed without prejudice because it's, it's meaningless now. We did, it was a criminal information instead of an indictment because Hunter Biden had a plea agreement, right? But that plea agreement got thrown out. And then David Weiss got a brand new indictment, which was much worse for Hunter Biden. He went from one misdemeanor to three felonies. And so that original criminal information that was filed on June 20th is no longer relevant. It's no longer applicable. applicable. And so he asked the judge to dismiss it. And he asked him back on, was it on the 4th? Yeah, it was on October 4th. He asked. So literally, if anybody went to the documents, they would have seen that the filing right before this was the request for it to be dismissed. And the judge gave the order. Yeah, it's hereby ordered for the reasons stated in the motion. The United States motion to voluntarily dismiss firearm information without prejudice because an indictment was returned. This document right here is the basis for all the news reporting that, oh, the judge dismissed Hunter Biden's gun charge. But if you read, it's only one sentence. You People only had to read one sentence. And if they had decent reading comprehension skills, I mean, elementary level, they could have read because an indictment was returned. <laughs> so anyway, I kind of, I kind of fumbled things up for the clickbait artist, I guess, by pointing out that this wasn't the the doom uh, the doom story that they were trying to make it out to be. All right, before we get into uh, Trump's docs, oh man, I hate it when X does that. When I go to my profile and it shows no tweets, it always makes me nervous, like I got zapped. Oh my gosh, don't do this to me! It makes me worried that I got pulled. I got my account got suspended. Why is it not showing my, showing me my account? What is going on? I was going to go to my Menendez thread. Well, maybe X is down this morning. Maybe the day of jihad has, maybe somebody did a jihad against X's servers. Let me see if my link to my... Menendez thread will work. Yes, it will. Okay. Uh, 
oh, I see a message saying something went wrong. It's not my fault. Oh, I bet X is having trouble this morning, isn't it? What is it? Down detector. Yep. There we go. Oh, looks like another number of sites are having outages this morning. Okay. Well, I'm going to move that to the side and we'll go and do something different. Will this link still work? Okay, this thread is still here. The other day, X had outages that were just in some areas. So that might be what's going on again. All right, I can close that. Sorry to talk to myself, but I'm changing the order of things. Okay. Do you guys remember last Friday we went over a, uh, a very interesting filing in Trump's case? And it had to do with uh, skiffs and how Trump's team didn't have access to a fully functional, fully equipped skiff. They had access to a temporary skiff and they didn't have access. Um, it was in Miami and they didn't have access to all the classified discovery that they were supposed to have access to and that quote unquote, the owners had removed some of the classified documents that they needed access to that had previously been at the temporary skiff in Miami and moved them back to DC. And we speculated on the devolution power hour when we went over this, that, you know, maybe it was, I threw out that maybe it was NARA, um, because NARA seems to be a real, uh, they're a key component of this case, of course, but also that it could be DOD. And John Harold was most interested in it being DOD, seemed most compelled by the the hypothesis that it was the DOD. I think that is the most compelling um, hypothesis that these documents have to do with something involving DOD. And um, I'm thinking because of the conflict in the Middle East, that might be the reason why they were pulled. Uh, don't know, but Iran has come up in this docs case a number of times and just can't help but wonder if, if, if that's what's going on here. So anyway, you guys remember the filing that I read back on last Friday. Uh, let's, let's grab the response to it and just to tell you a little bit of difficulty I had this morning, I was pulling up, this wasn't this way the other day. So the way um, court listeners are supposed to work is that you buy on Pacer a document and then it populates here. So see how these say download D, uh, PDF? Before they said that, they said buy on Pacer. So the way it works is that somebody on Pacer buys access to the document for like 10 cents a page and depending on what it is but typically 10 cents a page and then that enables everybody to have access for free over on court listener but for some reason documents from the past several days are now back to, to where you have to buy them on pacer 
And some of these, when I went to go buy them, Pacer found an error and it just like totally, it, it couldn't find the docket. It was weird. Um, so anyway, what I did for this motion, the reply from the US, which is, that's the motion. See, this is the motion we read last Friday. And now it says buy on Pacer. This is weird. Something something's going on here. So anyway, this is where we were last Friday. We read this one right here. That was the really inter interesting one. But now it says buy on Pacer again. Don't know why. Which is not a big deal to buy it. It's like a couple dollars. But what's weird is that it, when I went to go click on this earlier, it couldn't find it. Um, and it gave me an error on the on Pacer. So since that happened, the judge ent entered a paperless order for a temporary stay of the SIPA deadlines, okay? So nice of her to do that. She got this filing requested for requesting a, a different schedule um, and asking for a trial date to be moved to mid-November and like the whole schedule to be adjusted and extended. And so what she did was entered a, a stay on any deadlines that were pending because there was this request for a change of schedule. Following that, there was docket entry 69, 170, and 171 were filed under seal. Then on the 6th, we got the supplemental response to standing discovery by the USA, which is document number 172. And then doc, uh, document number 173 is opposition by the USA, meaning by Special Counsel Jack Smith, to Trump's motion for a revised schedule. So those are the ones we want to get into. And what I had to do, this is uh, document 165. This is this one right here from the 27th. What I had to do was I had to go and type in the doc. I had to type in the case over here. Uh, like you go to query. Actually, here, let me just show you guys. You take this case number here. You just need the numbers. And on Pacer, you can go to query. I already have it in there, but you would pa paste it right here and search it. And then it brings up, there's three defendants, right? So it brings up the case that has all of them, and then it brings up the individual cases for each one. You can just click this one for all of them. Run the query. And then it gives you these options of where you want to go. So I, since the docket wasn't working earlier and gave me an error, I went to find a document. And then right here, you can just type in which document you want. So... We did, this is 167, that's 173. Okay, so what I did was I typed in the docket number and then it ran the report and it allowed me to download it, which should make it available to everybody, but I don't think it's working right today. So this is from 927, which was opposition to Trump's motion for a revised schedule. There's been filings back and forth. And I think that one's before the one we read. The one we read is this one, 12 pages. 
I'm making sure this is the last one we read because now my place is kind of lost. Yeah, this is the one. This is the one we we went over there a day. Yep, yep. This is the one we went over the other day, number one sixty-seven. So the next one we're going to read is one seventy-three, I believe. Now I'm going to make sure that's the case. This is the one we read on Friday. There's the paperless order. Sealed filings. 172 is supplemental response to standing discovery. Let me pull that one up too. 172. So right here, I'll do 172. Run report. There, and it tells you right here that it'll cost 40 cents because there's four billable pages. So you hit view document. You can't see this, but it popped up with a window for me to download it. You download it, you open it. Move this over. There we go. So now we have the government's motion right here, and then we have uh, their next res their response or supplemental response. All right, if you weren't interested in that, all that stuff, then sorry, it's over now though. And we can get into the document. All right, this is the government's supplemental response to the standing discovery order, which was the most next most interesting filing available to us. This is in Trump's documents case bat down in Southern Florida in front of Judge Cannon. So this, this order says United States of America by and through the special counsel files this pleading to supplement prior responses to the standard discovery issue. This pleading complies with local rules per the protective order. In this case, the government has provided five prior productions of discovery to Donald Trump, Waltine Nada, and Carlos de Oliveira. On October 6th, the government provided a sixth production of unclassified discovery to the counsel for defendants. That would be production six. Production six consists of less than 1,900 pages and includes inter alia memorialization of recent witness statements and materials recently obtained from the National Archives. The government responds to the specific items identified in the standing discovery order as set forth below. It starts off with B, it goes B, C, D, J. I don't know why it does that, but it does. B, demand for reciprocal discovery. The United States requests the disclosure and production of those items described and listed in paragraph B of the standing discovery order as provided by Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 16B. C, the government is providing information or material known to the United States that may be favorable to either defendant or the issues of guilt on the issues of guilt or punishment within the scope of Brady. D, the government has disclosed and will continue to disclose any payments, promises of immunity, leniency, preferential treatment, or other inducements made to prospective government witnesses within the scope of Giglio versus United States. J, the government's discovery productions include the grand jury testimony and recordings of witnesses who may testify for the government at trial in this case. The government will continue to produce on a rolling basis additional unclassified witness material as it is required. Aside from that, and additional jinx material, in particular agent communications, the government is not aware of any additional unclassified discovery 
material subject to production. The government is aware of its continuing duty to disclose newly discovered additional information, da 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 Signed Jack Smith. So that one's not that interesting. It's just Jack Smith saying, look, this is what we've given the, the defendants and as far as unclassified material goes, and we'll continue to give them this stuff. Then here's the response to Trump's motion for an extended schedule. This is government's response in opposition to the defendant's motion for adjournment of trial date. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but my puppies are going crazy upstairs. They probably hear something outside, like another dog. All right. With the trial date more than seven months away, the defendants have moved the court to continue the trial for an additional seven months to a date shortly after the November 2024 election. This court already rejected that position once, less than three months ago, in an order setting trial for May 2024. By appending a motion to continue trial to his recent reply on a motion to adjust the schedule under the Classified Information Production procedures act defendant donald j trump confirmed that his sipa scheduling motion was but a precursor to a motion to continue the trial date footnote the government submits this response to trump's motion to continue the trial date which he included for the first time in his reply in support of his motion regarding the interim sipa deadlines co-defendants nada and deo oliviera have joined his motion to continue as set forth below, the government has provided the defendants extensive, prompt, and well-organized unclassified discovery, yielding an exhaustive roadmap of proof of the detailed allegations in the superseding indictment. The vast majority of classified discovery is also available to the defendants. For a small fraction of the discovery that is among the most highly classified material, certain enhanced security protocols have raised additional obstacles to full access. As, those as to those materials, the Classified Information Security Offer, Officer, the CISO, Classified Information Security Officer, has advised the government he expects even those materials to be available for review and discussion by cleared counsel this week. None of the issues raised in the defendant's motion warrants the continuance they request. So here, Jack Smith is going to refute the complaints that Trump's team brought, which is that they don't have access to everything they need to have access to. It's spread out amongst multiple locations. The temporary skiff that they have isn't suitable for the lawyers to do their work. And there's some of the classified material has been taken away and moved back to DC and Trump's team doesn't have access to it. That would be the material right here that has certain enhanced security protocols. All right, to their argument or his refutation of Trump's argument. In their motion to continue, the defendants have repeatedly distorted the comprehensive, organized, and timely unclassified discovery that the government has produced in service of an attack on the promptness and thoroughness of the productions and an allegation that the government is, quote, ongoing noncompliance. The facts prove otherwise. The facts are that on June 21st, 2023, Eight days after Trump was arraigned, the government produced to him 800,000 pages of unclassified discovery, including, among other material, identification of approximately 4,500 pages of key documents, all 
grand jury testimony to date. There's been grand jury testimony since then, by the way. Witness statements through May 12th, 2023. And there's a footnote here. The footnote says the government is producing all witness statements, regardless of whether the government intends to call the witness to trial. That is what government counsel meant when they advise, when advising the court that it would produce such statements, quote, even if they would not be deemed discoverable under 18 USC 3500. Okay. Evidence obtained through search warrants and subpoenas search warrants and applications, and CCTV footage from Mar-a-Lago obtained prior to May 2023 with key footage identified. The government would have simultaneously made the same production to defendant Walty Nada, but his counsel was not yet admitted. The day that happened, July 6th, the government made its first production to Nada. On July 17th, the government produced its second unclassified production to Trump and Nada consisting of some 300,000 pages including, among other things, witness statements between May 12th and June 23rd, 2023, and relevant content from three electronic devices. On July 31st, the government made its third production to Trump and NADA, consisting of approximately 7,000 pages, including witness memorialization and grand jury transcripts resulting from the superseding indictment, as well as the remainder of the CCTV footage. As for defendant Carlos de Oliveira, the government produced the same three productions to him on August 11th, the day after he was arraigned. With the government's latest production of unclassified discovery on October 6th, more than seven months before the trial, that's the filing we just read before this one, it has produced all unclassified discovery of which it is aware, aside from the certain agent's communications, specifically emails and text messages, that could constitute jinx material at trial. The claim that the government has produced an additional 23% of discovery material since the July 21st scheduling order is misleading. He doesn't say it's false. He says it's misleading. Of the 166,554 pages of materials the government has produced since July 21st, 134,974 pages are from the final review of NADA's two phones. As the government indicated at the July 18th hearing, a substantial amount of material from the phones was in the government's first production, but technical issues prevented a complete review of the phones. See July 18th, 2023 transcript. The government already had disclosed in its first production approximately 93,561 pages from NADA's iCloud, iCloud account, which included material from his phones. In other words, much of the post-July 21st documentary production is likely duplicative of what the defendants already received. Okay, well, <laughs> likely duplicative, okay, but you still got to turn it over. As in any case, there is likely to be some additional discovery in the months leading up to the trial. For example, the government may interview additional witnesses. The court's resolution of an impending SIPA Section 4 motion should result in additional classified discovery, and the defendant's own discovery request could generate additional materials. But none of these circumstances is unusual, and none justifies delaying the trial. The government has endeavored to assist the defense review of these productions by categor categorizing materials logically, explaining the production's content and organization, 
key documents, blah, blah, blah. As noted above, reports, transcripts, and recordings of interviews with potential witnesses, essentially the blueprint of the government's case in chief, have been made available within days of arraignment for all defendants. Even though the government's or even though the court's scheduling order authorizes the government to delay production of such materials until just before trial. The government's production of unclassified discovery has been prompt, comprehensive, thorough, and organized. What he leaves out there is that it's just in multiple places, which um, are about a thousand miles away. The defense has complete access to it today, more than seven months before trial. In no way does the government record of unclassified discovery production in this case support a continuance. Okay, that's the unclassified. Yeah, we we get the unclassified stuff. You turn that over. Uh, That wasn't the key issue for Trump, though. All right. Allegations regarding classified discovery. Here's where the real real, uh, meat of this is going to be. For the Section 793 counts, remember in the uh, in the filing we previously read, I probably should have opened it up before I started the show so I could like have reference it over and over. But back on that show last Friday where we read Trump's motion for um, extending it, this one here, um, the counts that are under 793, U.S. Code 793, it was the classified production related to those that Trump team was specifically saying, we can't deal with these charges and form an argument against them because the class of a, a big chunk of the classified discovery having to do with section 793 counts is in multiple places, or we don't have access to it or where we do have access to it. It's in the temporary skiff, which doesn't have the, the equipment for us to be able to write motions and file them under seal with the court. So, for the Section 793 counts, Trump is, of course, entitled to classified discovery in order to test or challenge the government's proof of the elemental allegation in the indictment that the documents he retained at the Mar-a-Lago Club contained national defense information. So, this is like the re- like this right here is Jack Smith's case, which means it's also this right here is Trump's defense. They need to pick apart these documents and prove they're not national defense information or that Trump unclassified them. They were no longer classified, never were classified, whatever. This is where the, the real fight is. But the fact is that the great majority of the allegations in the indictment, including allegations of the defendant's conduct, knowledge, and intent turn on evidence contained in the unclassified discovery not the much smaller set of classified discovery. Oh, fuck. Sorry. <laughs> that is... Anyway. That the classified materials at issue in this case were taken from the White House and retained at Mar-a-Lago is not in dispute. What is in dispute is how that occurred, why it occurred, and what Trump knew and what Trump intended in retaining them. That's not what Trump's argument is. Trump's argument is they are not national defense information and he is covered under the Presidential Records Act. So Jack Smith is right here very sneakily trying to change the argument and focus on, look, focus on Trump's conduct, knowledge, and intent. 
when actually the the crux of this is whether or not it is national defense information, what is the classified status of it, classification status of it, and is Trump covered under the PRA or Espionage Act? What is in dispute is how that occurred, why it occurred, what Trump knew, and what Trump intended in retaining them. All issues that the government will prove at trial primarily with unclassified evidence. Whether the highly classified documents Trump retained at Mar-a-Lago contain national defense information is a fact Trump can try to dispute, but it will hardly be the centerpiece of the trial. I expect different. Regardless, as discussed below, none of the defendant's claims about the availability of classified discovery justifies a continuance. Man, this is... When you see the play that's being made, it's like you kind of admire it because you're like, this is really clever. But then you're also like, you bastard. You're such a sneaky lawyer. All right. The defendants make numerous allegations regarding their access to classified discovery arising from the status of secure facilities, their clearances and other considerations. Most of the allegations are inaccurate or incomplete. Collectively, they are misleading. The fact is that since the entry of the protective orders on September 13th, Cleared Council has had access to considerable classified discovery, and as of last Friday, October 6th, the government has made available all of the classified discovery of which it is aware, except for discovery subject to proceedings under SIPA Section 4. While a small portion of the classified discovery is subject to issues related to where it may be stored, discussed, and reviewed, the government expects those issues to be resolved shortly. So that last line, they admit there is an issue with some of the classified discovery. But he starts off by saying, all of the classified discovery has been made available. Before ending with, some of it isn't available right now, but we're working on that. Clearances. The defendants paint a misleading portrait of defendants' counsel's clearances. Security clearances do not pose any Im- impediment to del- diligent defense counsel. On foot- in footnote two of their motion, the defendant states that Mr. Kais, quote, has not yet been fully cleared to review all of the SIPA materials, and that because of that fact and his duties representing Trump in another trial, he has, quote, had no opportunity to review any of the SIPA materials. Mr. Kais received an interim security clearance in late July, which authorized him to review about 2,100 pages of classified discovery the moment they were produced on September 13th, the same day the protective orders issued. Those materials included 16 of 31 charged documents and about 600 pages of classified interview transcripts, among other materials. So, although it is true that as of their filing, Mr. Kais had not been, quote, cleared fully, It is inaccurate to suggest that that fact at all explains his failure to review any of the SIPA materials. This leaves only one of the proffered explanations for Mr. Kais' alleged inability to review any of the SIPA materials as as the possibly accurate one. Mr. Kais' competing obligations in the New York trial. But those obligations were aired at the July 18th scheduling hearing. At pay at third, at, Paragraph 3543, and the court 
has already taken them into account in setting trial in May. As a result, there is no basis for the further suggestion in the footnote that, quote, the government's delayed discovery process somehow has denied Trump Mr. Kais's assistance in a way that justifies a continuance. Sorry to argue against this document as I'm reading it, but it is literally true that the government has delayed classified discovery of some materials, and Jack Smith admitted that right here. Moreover, the point ignores that the remainder of Trump's team, four lawyers and a legal analyst, have final clearances. In other words, all counsel for Trump, save Mr. Kais, have been approved for the clearances necessary to review all of the charged documents in this case, as has one counsel for De Oliveira. Some counsel may require additional read-ins to review certain compartmentalized information, but those read-ins have been approved and can be provided any time the defense arranges with the CISO. With respect to NADA, the CISO has informed the SCO that one defense counsel is expected to be approved for full clearance this week. B, documents requiring special measures. Okay, this might be the most interesting stuff. As noted above, a small collection of highly sensitive information and classified materials that Trump retained at the Mar-a-Lago Club are so sensitive that they require special measures. And Jack Smith is going to call them, quote, the special measures documents. Including enhanced security protocols for their transport review, discussion, and storage. The special measures documents constitute a tiny subset of the total array of classified documents involved, which is itself a small subset of the total discovery produced. From the outset of this case, the special counsel's office and the CISO, the chief information security officer, have been aware of some of the special measures documents, but only recently the SEO and the CISO learned that others, still constituting a small fraction of overall discovery, fall into that category as well. Oh, and that's all he says about them. That's all he's going to... Wait, surely he's going to say more about them later. All right. So there's a... It actually doesn't matter how small this this amount of of material is because a single page document could 100% exonerate Trump, right? So it really doesn't matter how small it is, like you can't you can't say like, "Oh, well there's a million pages over here and that's they're so important because there's a million of them." Like the number of pages doesn't really matter like how small or big it is. It's just what it actually says that matters and what it means is what matters. And I feel like him saying it's small, it's a subset, is trying to minimize how important they are when they might be the single most important documents in the entire case. And right now, Trump's team doesn't have access to them. And guys, what the hell are they? What are these special measures documents 
that have enhanced security protocols for their transport review discussion and storage and that can't be stored in a skiff in Florida, but instead have to be in a super secure facility in D.C. only. What are they? And it says right here, from the outset in this case, the SCO and the CISO have been aware of some of the special measures documents. But only recently, the SCO and CISO learned that others still constituting a small fraction fall into that. So there was other classified discovery that recently Jack Smith and the chief information security officer decided also require special measures doc with special security measures. And also if um, they were aware that there were documents like this, they didn't bring this up in the hearings about SIPA. They didn't say this back when they argued for the SIPA schedule and all this stuff started getting turned over. They never mentioned that, Oh, by the way, judge, there are certain documents that are only going to be available in DC. Remember how, remember we went over the skiff argument and how Trump wanted a facility to be certified in Mar-a-Lago for them to be able to review them there. And then remember how Jack Smith and them were like, no, 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 no. Um, we don't want that. And then finally judge Cannon said, look, it's going to be up to the CISO. Any, whatever facility the CISO says is secure enough for the classified discovery is where these documents will be. And Trump's team will have access to work with them and to build their case. So Judge Cannon left it up to the CISO. But in all those arguments for this, it was never mentioned that there were special measures documents that were only going to be available in D.C. Jack Smith is hiding the ball. He is hiding the ball. He's playing keep away from Trump. These are probably the most important documents in this entire case and Trump's team can't get access to them. Like literally they can't, even if they go to DC right now, they can't get access to them. But when they are going to have access to him, which Jack Smith says shortly, they will, whatever that means, they have to go to DC to look at them and work with them, which means leaving the other discovery behind in Florida. So what are these? You know, a lot of people in this case, like since this started, have been saying it's about the peds. They're trying to find the peds. I've never bought into that. Never thought that was what was going on. But maybe it's something close to that. Maybe that wasn't so far off. Or maybe these are NSPMs. Remember how Trump signed all those NSPMs right before he left office, way more than any president ever has? Maybe that's what they are. Or maybe that's what they relate to. I don't know. All right. Secured facilities is the next section. Next, the defendants unfairly criticized the special counsel's office for, quote, failing to establish appropriate facilities in this district before bringing this case. To begin, 
the SEO does not have the authority to decide when and where secure facilities for the storage of classified information are established. That's literally true. The CISO, who serves not at the behest of the prosecutors, but rather, quote, in a neutral capacity, oversees that process. Revised security procedures, blah, 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 under the security procedures established by the Chief Justice. The CISO is charged with making necessary arrangements to ensure that security requirements of the executive branch applicable to the leveling category of classified information involved are met and must conduct or arrange for such inspection of the secure location as may be necessary. The classified information security officer must, in consultation with the United States Marshal, arrange for the installation of security devices and take such other measures as may be necessary to protect against unauthorized access or disclosure of classified information. To be sure, the extreme sensitivity of the special measures documents that Trump illegally retained at Mar-a-Lago presents logistical issues unique to this case. This is the whole case right here. It's about these documents. But the defendant's allegations that those logistical impediments are the fault of the SCO are wrong. The defendants claim that the SCO has failed, quote, to timely remedy the situation or to, quote, make very basic arrangements in this district, meaning the District of Florida, proceeds from the false premise that the SCO controls the situation. It does not. Nonetheless, the SCO has also offered to and did make a facility available in in, to the defense in Washington, D.C. that can accommodate the review and discussion all, of all the discovery in this case, including the special measures documents. All right, so Jack Smith says that, look, if these, if these guys want to look at all the discovery, all the classified stuff, including the special measures documents, they got to do it in Washington, D.C., Even though, just right over here, right here, paragraph, this paragraph right here, a small portion of the classified discovery is subject to issues related to where it may be stored, discussed, and reviewed. The government expects those issues to be resolved shortly, so some of it is not available. With respect to the Miramar facility, the defendants note that classified documents have not been transported there and state that the location, quote, has not yet been approved for review and storage of classified material. That is inaccurate. The CISO has informed the SCO that Miramar can accommodate the review and discussion of all material and can store all classified material except for the special measures documents, the most important documents in the entire case. The defendants claim that this situation, coupled with the defense to this point, having access only to a small temporary facility in Miami, has delayed Trump's personal review of classified discovery. But the SEO is not aware of any request by Trump to personally appear in Miramar to inspect any documents, a request upon which the necessary arrangements to do so can and will be made. And whatever delay there has been to date in Trump's personal review of classified materials, the seven months that remain before trial is more than ample time for him to do so. In any event, the, S the CISO has informed the SCO that by the end of this week, he expects that there will be skiffs within the district 
available to defense counsel for review and discussion of all classified discovery in this case, including the special measures documents. Okay. Footnote. The government will not disclose in a public filing the precise location of these skiffs, but the CISO has an undoubtedly informed the court of them. That's probably, guys, that's probably what these were. These three restricted filings here that are under seal, that might, one, at least one of these might be the chief information security officer telling Judge Cannon, hey, there's going to be a facility stood up and approved by the end of the week at this location. This is where it'll be. I tell you what, this may be too small of a thing, but both in this sentence here and right here, it says skiffs, plural. It doesn't say a skiff. It doesn't say a secure facility. Not, it's not singular. It's plural skiffs. And then down here, these skiffs, so more than one in this in this district. I wonder if the CISO is going to approve Mar-a-Lago. And Jack Smith doesn't want to say it. I wonder. I wonder. And I wonder... He says that including the special measures document. So what is going to change about the skiffs in that dis in the district of Florida that's going to make it capable of receiving these super highly sensitive documents that they aren't capable of receiving now? I wonder. Okay. Additionally, the SCO has been informed that each of those skiffs, again, plural, can store all classified discovery except for the special measures documents. Wait a minute. Up here it just says, including the special measures documents. So they can't, okay, they, they can't be stored there? Is that the only, that's the operative word? The SEO has been informed that each of those skiffs can store all classified discovery except for the special measures, measures documents. And with respect to those materials, the, S, the CISO is working diligently on a solution. Pending that solution, and with appropriate notice, those documents can be couriered by qualified control officers from the intelligence community to a skiff in South Florida for defense inspection. And contrary to the defendant's allegation that the SEO, quote, faces no it such issues, it too must follow this procedure. Currently, the special counsel office's skiff cannot accommodate the store. Dude. Jack Smith says that even the special counsel office's own skiff is not secure enough for the storage of the special measures documents. Like the defense, to review those materials, SCO personnel must either arrange for them to be couriered to the office or travel to an approved location. What are these documents? The, defense, the defendants also suggest that they lack access to an approved computer with which to prepare classified discovery requests and pleadings. That, too, is misleading because it is only true with respect to a small subset of the special measures. Doc Again, those documents are the reason. So the reason Trump's team was saying, look, we can't 
write the motions and make filings to the court from the skiff available to us because it doesn't have the equipment it doesn't have an approved computer with which us for us to write the motions because if you don't get it guys like and not that i'm an expert here but this is just what i've gathered this is what my understanding is when they go when there's classified information in a case they go to a skiff a, a, an approved or swe a secure work environment they go there, in there, they can't bring their phone, they can't bring their computers at all, no electronics. In there are hard copies of the documents, the classified information. They can work with them there, they can use a notepad, all of their work has to stay there, they can't take it with them. So what, they, what the lawyers do is they go in there, they look at the classified information, and then they spend time working in there to write the motion that they want to write, whether it's a like a motion to dismiss or to challenge one of the charges or to request more discovery, um, whatever it is they want to file with the court, whatever. They have to use an approved computer that is within that secure facility. And then it makes that filing that you see here, like these right here that are filed under under seal, those might have come from a, like been written by a lawyer in a skiff, and then filed to the court electronically and securely through an approved computer that had secure access. And that was Trump's compl team's complaint was that like, we can't even like do lawyer work right now because we don't have access to the documents one and two, we don't have an approved computer inside this temporary skiff with which we can write our motions and pleadings. So that's why we need this big delay. We need the schedule extended because until the special counsel's office resolves all this stuff. Cause we literally can't do work to defend our client. It turns out that the reason that computer is not approved to do this work is because it can't do any work related to these special measures documents. So these special measures documents, they don't have a computer that can they can use to write motions related to them because it's not secure enough. They don't have a facility. Trump's team doesn't have a facility where they can go to and look at these documents. Not a facility in Florida anyway. And when they do get a facility in Florida that they can look at these documents, those documents can't be stored there. And anytime they want to look at them, they have to notify, I guess, DOD or somebody to arrange for those documents to be couriered to that facility. And then they do their work. And then those documents are couriered back away to DC. They can go to DC and look at them. And that's really the only solution here is if Trump's team wants to do any lawyer work, they now have to leave the district of Florida and go to Washington DC every single time. Since the protective orders issued on September 13th, the defense has had access to a classified laptop sufficient to address all remaining classified discovery. Well, that's not what they're worried about. They're worried about these special measures documents. For example, as the court is aware, the defense was able to prepare and file a classified supplement. Ooh, nice. So him saying that tells us that one of those, one of these right here is a classified supplement from Trump's team. One of them is probably the SIPA officer, the classified information security officer, making a filing about the skiffs that are being stood up in her district. And then who knows what the other one is? Okay. 
Nice clues we found in this document. There is no reason why the defense could not prepare discovery requests related to the materials it has thus far reviewed. As for special measures documents, the CISO is working with the intelligence community to establish approval for the defense's electronic processing of such documents and expects a solution soon. That's We've got um, shortly and soon being you doing a lot of work in this document <laughs> in this in this uh this opposition filing here the defendants further argue that the lack of skiff space at the courthouse in fort pierce and the anticipated three-month period before secure facilities are constructed further require a continue whoa so in fort pierce florida a skiff is being built but they anticipate it'll be three months before it's ready. But that was the situation facing the court when it scheduled the trial for May 2024. And the only change since then is that the hoped for construction project is now a reality. The defendant's other argument that the court lacks the ability to hold classified hearings is an overstatement. See how he keeps using terms like Soon, shortly, misleading, and then now overstatement. CISOs routinely taken uh, routinely take measures to make a courtroom or a judge's chambers a temporary secure location suitable to hold a classified hearing. And the CISO has informed the, C- the SCO that he can do so here for any hearing not involving the special measures documents. So as long as we're not judge. As long as we're not talking about the most important documents in this entire effing case, we can have a secure hearing in your courtroom. (laughs) And even for a hearing involving those, there will soon be alternative venues in the district that could accommodate one of the courts at the court's discretion. The defendant's allegations regarding clearances and secure facilities vastly overstate the impact on their access to classified discovery and their ability to prepare for trial. That's not for you to judge, Jack Smith. That's actually not for you to judge or say. All right, the defendants wrongly claim, this is about the PSRs. So I went over this on the um, Devolution Power Hour. That's probably spam, right? Hot supermodel, hot model, super loud, back cracking, gone wild. Do you guys think that might be spam? (laughs) <laughs> what the world okay a couple people gave me rants and i didn't call them out earlier uh bear bl thank you very much 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 appreciated that's very generous of you thank you very very much and i hope you're doing well um also rl skeeter thank you very much they say we love any time that you can share with us i appreciate that send me the squirrel thank you for being a monthly supporter your favorite documents guy. Thank you. Mediocre at best. Thank you for the rant. Says I triple dog dare everyone to rant the price of a movie ticket and thumbs up y'all. Hey, that's really nice. Thank you. Uh, I do appreciate the thumbs up. Y'all have put me pretty high up on the leaderboard a couple times recently. And I do appreciate that. Also filter dog over on pilled. Thank you for the shades. Much appreciated. Okay, on the Devolution Power Hour on Wednesday, which was a pretty dang good episode, if I do say so myself, I went over that these PSRs 
these are, uh, I don't even remember what the acronym stands for right now. Uh, Prudential search requests. That's what they are. So these are, um, according to the Department of Justice handbook, actually, let me look these up. Let's just go so I can read it. So I don't, I don't fudge this. All right. Right here. Justice.gov. Prudential search. Okay. A prudential search is a search of intelligence community files, usually prior to an indictment, usually prior to an indictment, for pre-existing intelligence information undertaken because the prosecutor and the department have objective, articulable facts justifying the conclusion that the files in question probably contain classified information that may have an impact upon the government's decision whether to seek an indictment. And, excuse me, and if so, what crimes the defendants should be charged with in that indictment. So prior to an indictment in a matter, an investigation that's involving possibly classified material, the PSRs are a prudential search. They're a search of the intelligence community files to see if, hey, are these files that we're looking at in this investigation actually classified and what's their status of classification? What impact might they have? How does this affect what charges we bring against this defendant if we do bring charges? That's what they are. M. Bacon. Wow. M. Bacon, thank you for the rant. They say, wanted you to know how awesome I think you are, and I truly appreciate your insight and deep dives for the truth. I'm always happy when I see you and John on DPH. Keep the faith and hang in there. Man, that hits me in the feels. Thank you very, thank you very much. Okay, so these, these PSRs, the defendants wrongly claim that everything must come to a halt until the government advises, quote, whether and to what extent it has sent out prudential search requests. Those are PSRs. A name for the mechanism by which the government seeks potentially discoverable information that may exist in the files of agencies beyond the prosecution team, so outside of DOJ. To begin with, none of the defendant's suggestions about PSRs is accurate as a legal matter. The government is not required to conduct prudential searches or disclose to the defense, quote, whether and to what extent it did. The cases cited in support of that proposition involve situations where the prosecutors conducted prudential searches and elected to disclose what they did. That does not amount to an obligation and in neither case suggests, much less holds, otherwise. I seem to recall in Trump's team's filing, they said that while the government may not be required to disclose the PSRs, there has been other cases where they were disclosed, and then it listed those. One of those is the Alex Saab case, by the way, which I haven't checked in on in a while. I should go back to that. Um, in any event, the government here has made appropriate prudential search requests and produced discoverable materials it received as a result Oh, I missed a footnote. Number Footnote number four. The government's process in this case is fully consistent with the justice manual provisions, and in any event, the justice manual, quote, is not intended to, does not, and may not be relied upon. Blah, blah, blah. The internet, The internet protocols confer the defendant no rights, much less a right to detect 
or dictate how discovery is collected. Okay. Basically, Jack Smith is saying, we don't have to give you these. Simple as that. That will be evident to the defense when it reviews the classified discovery letter the government provided the CISO on October 6th. The defendants claim that prudential searches are required, quote, under the circumstances of this case. And their predictable demand and reply to this repleting that the government disclosed to whom the PSRs were made and for what is no more than the defendant's speculation that discovery is available that the government did not and will not collect. The law does not provide for such second guessing, as one of the cases cited by the defendants makes clear. Yeah, we, I think Trump's team admitted, we know you're not required to turn this stuff over, but under these circumstances um, of this case, you should be. Typically, the government shoulders the burden of determining which information must be disclosed under Brady. The defendant's sinister suggestion, sinister? The defendant's sinister suggestion. Okay, are we reading WAPO now? That there is a bastion of discoverable material within the intelligence community that the government is purposefully disregarding is untrue. Their review of the government's latest production of classified discovery will confirm as much. Moreover, the defendant's arguments on this score distort the ordinary process for discovery and the schedule established by the court, which contemplate the defense propounding to the government specific discovery request. Depending on the validity of those requests, they may or may not trigger additional searches and the production of additional material. Notably, the defense has made no such request to this point, despite the headline for motions to compel being barely more than one week away on October 20th. Conclusion. The defendants provide no credible justification to postpone a trial that is still seven months away. They are fully informed of the charges in the theory of the government's case from the highly detailed superseding indictment and comprehensive organized unclassified and classified discovery. Their unfounded claims of government noncompliance with discovery obligations do not support the request. Their claims about their inability to review classified information are distorted and exaggerated. And in any event, the government expects the CISO will resolve any remaining issues this week. There is no reason to adjourn the trial date. The defendant's motion should be denied. Respectfully submitted, Jack Smith, Jay Brad, Julia Edis, Julie Edelstein, and David Harbach. All right. I don't know how to say your name. MZN Nocera 55. Ms. Nocera 55, maybe. Thank you very much for the Rumble rant. Thank you. God bless you and your family as well. Um, all right. So even though that was a bit frustrating to read, we still got a lot out of it, right? Like we, by reading this document from Jack Smith, which got on our nerves a bit, we learned what two of these restricted filings most likely are not for sure what they are, but likely anyway, we also learned about the special measures documents. And I think it's fair to say those are the most important documents in this entire case. Um, we also learned about construction of a new skiff and that there will be multiple skiffs in the area uh, or in this district of Southern Florida. And we learned that the, um, special measures documents are the basically the reason why Trump they're the whole thing that they're why they're 
they're the reason why the skiffs available to Trump in Southern Florida are in, are insufficient. They're the reason why the owners uh, moved those documents back to D.C. Something has happened with those documents. They're super important. And they are. we also learned that they are part of the documents, or maybe all of the documents, that Trump, te- that Trump actually had in Mar-a-Lago. They are the stuff that the government went there and took. That's what, that's what we learned. So it's a good lesson in how, even though you're like, oh, I don't want to read this filing by Jack Smith. I don't like what it says. I don't agree with what it says. You can still learn from it, right? Okay, so that was document number 173. See right there? Document number 173. So let's go back to the docket. This is document 173. Let's see. What time is it? 11 a.m. Sweet. Let's look and see what else there is. So docket 174 is a motion to appear by a counsel. And then attorneys added. Number 175 is a motion to intervene and be heard. On close, this is all media stuff right here. 176 is a paperless order granting the motion for that attorney to appear. 177 is a paperless order. The court is in receipt of the movement press coalition. Okay, that's that has to do with all the press that are right here. Document 178. Reply to response to motion by Donald Trump. Okay, this is document 178. Let's see what it is. Go over here to Pacer and do 178. Nine pages, so it costs 90 cents. Open that one right there, right? 178. And see, it should be making these that I've... It should be populating these and making them available to everybody. And it's still not doing it. Something's going on. Or maybe it... I don't know. Some of these were available the other day, like, because I was looking at them. And then now they're not. I don't know what's up. Okay. This is President Trump's reply in further support of motion for the adjournment date. So this is Trump's team coming back back around, supporting their argument for the trial date to be moved. Okay. President Donald J. Trump respectfully submits this reply in support of his October 4th motion that we read last Friday. For an adjournment of the trial date until at least mid-November 2024. Last month, the court invited defense motions if counsel encountered impediments to our ability to confer with our clients. It is hard to imagine a more fundamental impediment to that process than the failure of the special counsel's office to timely produce discovery that is central to the pending charges. The office is quick to cast aspersions regarding the motive for President Trump's adjournment request. 
but the prosecutors still have not explained their written and verbal misrepresentations to the court in June and July 2023. That would be the representations, I believe, where they said on day one of the SIPA schedule being ordered, we will turn over everything, which obviously hasn't happened. Nor has the special counsel's office addressed the implications of its strategic decision to pursue a conflicting schedule in United States v. Trump in that'd be the D.C. case. Specifically, as we noted previously, the office sought to start jury selection in the District of Columbia on the same day as a scheduled hearing in this case and requested a trial date that conflicted with numerous existing deadlines set by the court. All right, I'm no lawyer but I'm just going to go ahead and say that Trump's team started is starting off right here by reminding judge Cannon that even though Jack Smith filed this case in her courtroom first or in her district first and set up this case and started making out a schedule with her first, he then went on to indict Trump in a different district and set a conflicting schedule with Judge Cannon's schedule. So they're like, remind, hey, just by the way, Judge Cannon, this special counsel's office doesn't respect you in your courtroom. That's what they're saying here with this. In more recent submissions, the prosecutors conveniently ignore the intervening two-month trial in the District of Columbia, which involves distinct facts but will require a similar degree of complex motion practice and preparations for President Trump and counsel in favor of the misleading and deceptive assertion that the trial in this case is seven months away. Yeah, they're they're priming Judge Cannon to be like, you know what? I think I do like changing this schedule, and it's your fault, Jack Smith, that I need to change it at all. At bottom... The special counsel's office misled the court this summer by contending that the unprecedented schedule it requested was workable and not violative of the defendant's rights because the office would promptly produce all discoverable materials. To date, that claim has proven to be false in at least the following ways. One, President Trump and counsel still cannot access nine of the documents that the office charged him with illegally retaining in an indictment filed more than three months ago. Boom. All right. So we've learned it's nine, nine documents. It doesn't mean it's nine pages, but it's nine individual documents that are subject to this special measures. Two, a recent untimely production nearly doubled the volume of classified discovery. And the office has not explained why those materials were withheld from prior productions. So Jack Smith said, on day one of approving the SIPA schedule, the defendants will have access to all the classified discovery. And then, shortly after, doubled the volume of classified discovery. And they still don't have access to all of it. Despite doubling down on the false claim that the office is producing, quote, all witness statements, the office admits that it is withholding from discovery, quote, certain unclassified agents' communications, and it indicated in a prior filing that similar classified materials are outstanding. After the court's scheduling order, the office produced approximately 168,424 pages of unclassified discovery, and it now relies on flawed and speculative arguments to try to justify the untimely production. 
Footnote. The office's citation of 166,554 pages produced since July 21st is inaccurate and does not account for pages provided in their newest production from last Friday, October 6th. Okay. Unable to explain away these deficiencies, the office resorts to characterizing straightforward arguments about the basic rights of criminal defendants as sinister. I knew they would pick up on that word. You messed up, Jack. The record does not support that claim. Most of the members of the office's trial team are seasoned litigators and Department of Justice attorneys. Very unprofessional for them to use that word. The fact that they continue to contend that it is appropriate and not violative of President Trump's due process rights to push forward with back-to-back multi-month trials in different districts with wholly different facts over a defendant's objection reveals a central truth about this ca- these cases. The special counsel's office is engaged in a reckless effort to try to obtain a conviction of President Trump prior to the 2024 election, no matter the cost. The court should not permit the use of the criminal justice process toward that end. I like those lines. Accordingly, and for the additional reasons set forth, the requested adjournments are appropriate to allow adequate time to review the office's ongoing productions of discovery, to address complex motions and necessary hearings, and to prepare for trial in the context of the two cases initiated by the same office. Classified discovery is not complete. As of this filing, which is October 11th, as of this filing, President Trump and counsel still do not have access to nine of the allegedly classified documents that serve as the basis for individual 793E counts. The special counsel's office refers to these documents as the, quote, special measures documents, and we lack access to unspecified others in this category. Interesting. There is also other classified discovery that the office concedes is outstanding, such as a reportedly, quote, small volume of classified jinx emails, primarily agent emails. Thus, while President Trump may have access to considerable classified discovery, or even the, quote, vast majority of it, he does not have what the office agreed to provide at the July 18th, 2023 conference before the court set the current schedule. In a transparent and meritless effort, wait a minute, hold on, there's a footnote. This is a footnote about Trump's counsel. It says, as noted previously, the office's delay has compounded the scheduling challenges previously identified by Christopher M. Keis, co-counsel on this case, and effectively denied him the ability to participate in the defense. President Trump should not be denied the assistance of core counsel in a matter of this significance due to the government's delayed discovery process. As a defendant, Trump has the right to be represented by whatever counsel he wants, and while he can't use the the council's, you know, like the council can't go on vacation and like delay this all this stuff, you know, like the council can't be unreasonable, but he has the right to be represented by Christopher Keis. And the fact that the office has delayed um certain things having to do with Keis being cleared 
for security to be able to access this stuff is impacting Trump's case unfairly. Basically, he has a player, I mean, not basically, he literally has a player of his team that he can't put on the field right now because the special counsel's office is delaying that guy's ability to be on the field. And then the documents have been delayed since July. So we're now July, like July 18th. So end of July to end of August, that's one month. End of August to end of September, that's two months. We're in mid-October right now. So we're talking about 75 days that Trump team is basically behind from where they could be if everything had been delivered on day one, like Jack Smith promised it would be. Promised the court and Trump it would be. Right. In a transparent and meritless effort to minimize the problem, the special counsel's office credits itself with having established things it believes are not in dispute. We do not agree with any of those assertions, and such arguments highlight the risk of permitting these prosecutors to make ex parte presentations to the court regarding what is, quote, relevant and helpful to the defense under SIPA 4. It's for Trump to decide, Trump's team to decide what's relevant and helpful. If you don't remember, ex parte means that it's in private between the judge and one of the parties. Either the defendants or the prosecutors or both defendants and prosecutors and judge in private. In one notable example, the office claims that the issue of, quote, national defense information one of the critical elements in 32 of the 42 counts in the superseding indictment, quote, will hardly be the centerpiece of the trial. Perhaps the office hopes not to focus on that element of the crimes as charged, but that strategy does not bind the defense. To the contrary, and as President Trump signaled in his September 22nd, 2023 classified supplement, the defense will contest the office's national defense information-related proof through pretrial motions and at trial. The prosecutor's attempts to diminish their burden of proof are not a basis to require premature motions, practice, and an unnecessary accelerated trial. The special counsel's office also goes to great lengths to distance itself from any suggestion that it has, quote, control of the situation with respect to President Trump's access to classified discovery. That approach is as troubling as it is counterfactual. The office acknowledges that it has been navigating the same special measures to access the same documents in the vicinity of the District of Columbia. The discovery confirms as much, time and again, when it was in the office's interest, prosecutors arranged to have the documents made available and obtained concurrences from the intelligence community permitting them to show the documents to witnesses. The office has not made the same arrangements for President Trump. And these are not mere, quote, logistical impediments. Providing discovery in an accessible format is part of every prosecutor's job, and the adjournments are appropriate because the office has not yet accomplished that in this case. Boom. All right, next part. The special counsel's office recently doubled the classified discovery. Liz Jen, thank you very much for the rant. They say, I'm grateful for any show you can offer. Thank you. 
Although the discovery deficiencies relating to the nine right, relating to nine of the pending counts are sufficient to grant the requested adjournment. The special counsel's office recently made available a classified production consisting of approximately 2,400 pages and four discs. This is in stark contrast to the office's September 12th, 2023 estimate that there were between 750 and 1,000 pages of classified discovery outstanding. Wow. There are also other items that the office concedes it has not yet produced, such as the, quote, small volume of classified jinx material, primarily agent emails. The October 6th, 2023 unclassified discovery letter from the special counsel's office provided no description of the production. In response to our inquiry, the office disclosed in an unclassified email that the production includes after-action reports, documents related to the classification review of the documents that were stored in Mar-a-Lago, documents relating to certain charge documents, audio recordings of classified interviews, photographs of documents that were at Mar-a-Lago, search warrant photographs, and classified content that was found on unclassified devices. It is clear that at least some aspects of the production have existed since the outset of this case, and the special counsel's office has not explained why it failed to produce these materials despite, previously, its repeated claims about making discovery available, quote, promptly. The timing and size of the October 6th production further support the need for the requested adjournments. Next, unclassified discovery is not complete. Despite prior written commitments to the court to produce all witness statements, the special counsel's office is withholding from President Trump and other defendants, quote, certain agents' unclassified communications, in addition to the above referenced similar classified materials. Thus, the office has not, in fact, quote, produced all witness statements, regardless of whether the government intends to call the witness at trial. Footnote two of the opposition's of the, of the office's opposition submission is not accurate. If the process used by the special counsel's office to prepare discovery was, quote, fully consistent with the justice manual provisions to which the defendants refer, then there would have been no need for the office to limit its October 9th, 2023 compliance certification to the discovery, quote, of which it is aware. Even that caveated representation, however, is inaccurate. On October 9th, 2023, President Trump notified the office that there are nearly 50 FBI reports in the unclassified discovery that refer to enclosures and attachments that do not appear to have been produced. Ooh. So around 50 FBI reports in the unclassified discovery refer to items that refer to documents that are not included or haven't been, impro- haven't been produced. It is difficult to understand how the case file review mandated by the Justice Manual could miss that type of issue, and we expect that the number of unproduced enclosures and attachments will increase as our review of the unclassified discovery continues. Finally, the Special Counsel's Office has not addressed its production of 19 additional terabytes of CCTV footage since the court scheduling order and the office's argument relating to the additional 168,424 pages of documents it produced since the order is flawed. Specifically, 
the office contends that an unspecified number of 134,974 of the pages at issue relating to two cell phones are, quote, likely duplicative or duplicative, duplicative <laughs> of materials that were produced previously from a single iCloud account. This reminds me, I really, I said this on the Devolution Power Hour. I think they're flooding the zone. Like, I think Jack's, the Smith, the special counsel is giving Trump's team a million plus pages of documents to go through, both unclassified and classified, and in order to waste their time, to load up their bandwidth, to make, you know, like to make the amount of material that his lawyers have to go through as big as the biggest mountain they can build because they're going to waste their time going through it when really the most important documents are probably like what a thousand or less. There's probably a thousand pages that are really important to Trump's case, less than a thousand pages um, that are really important. It's the actual documents that he's charged with holding. It's the PSRs or the searches of intelligence community files that show what the classification of those documents are and why they are national defense information. So it's the, it's the actual documents that Trump is charged with having. It's the classified intelligence community files that talk about and describe why those and justify those as national defense information. It's the classification orders. It's the PSRs. It's things like that. It's the FBI's, documents about the documents Trump had. It's those things. Those are the core of the whole case. But Jack Smith's team is hiding that material or only producing parts of it and then flooding the zone with 135,000 pages, some of it duplicative, relating to two cell phones of an employee. It's a good tactic, I gotta say. I mean, it's it's a good I like you gotta it's a it's it's a play. It's a it's a it's a decent play, not decent like humanly decent <laughs> or ethical, but it's lawfare. All right, because President Trump and the other defendants have not been provided discovery in the time frame the office described, the court should not hold the defendants to the deadlines that were based on that time frame. Simple as that. And it's signed Todd Blanche and Christopher Kais. Okay. Blanche is at Blanche Law. Kais is at Continental. Okay. So this was document... 178. What time is it? 122. All right. Let's go back to the docket. 178 was the reply. All right. Docket 179. Docket number 179. This is notice of counsel appearing on behalf of the press. And then 180, the most recent filing. Let me refresh it in case there's been something new. Okay. The most recent filing in this case is this paperless order, which has to do with this council appearing on behalf of all these press organizations. All right. Now let's see. Give me a moment. Let's see if. Um, let, I'm going to see if Twitter is working for me, because if it is, 
then there was a hearing in front of Judge Cannon yesterday that blew up. All right, my Twitter appears to be working again. Let me see if I can find this thread. I think I can, because this is going to be a nice cherry on top of our review of these documents. Where is it? Okay. Oh, wrong keyboard. I went to type Judge Cannon and I started typing Just Human. <laughs> okay, it was this one. Dude, I hope they have... Does this one have a video? Oh, sweet. Okay, so they had a hearing in front of Judge Cannon to talk about some issues. And, okay, we got The Messenger. Steve Riley at The Messenger. Not familiar with him. Okay, here we go. Here's Trump's lawyers and the prosecutors walking out of the hearing okay judge cannon slams jack smith's team for wasting her time and postpones conflict hearing for trump co-defendant okay so this was the garcia hearing this had to this was another matter we talked about this i want to say like three weeks ago maybe it was on i know i remember mentioning it on a devolution power hour and and uh john giving me like a what garcia hearing so the garcia hearing is um a hearing where the the judge needs to make make the defendants aware that there's possible conflicts of interest between his defense attorney and possible witnesses in the case. And it's just to make the, the uh, my understanding anyway, is it's to make the defendant aware that, hey, the, the guy you have representing you also has a relationship with a witness against you. Are you okay with that? It's that kind of a thing. Um, I'm not a lawyer, though, so there, there could be more about it, but that's my very simple layman's understanding of what a Garcia hearing is. And Walt Nada's attorney has represented witnesses in this case who are going to appear against him and Trump. So they had this hearing scheduled to discuss these possible conflicts of interest. All right. According to this article, the Florida federal judge, Judge Cannon, overseeing Donald Trump's classified documents case on Thursday, postponed one of two scheduled hearings regarding potential conflicts of interest for a lawyer representing one of the former president's co-defendants. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee, was scheduled to preside over two separate hearings Thursday afternoon for Trump co-defendants. One, it would be one for Carlos de Oliveira and one for Walt Nada. Trump and Nada were indicted in June in connection with the former president's alleged willful invitation, blah, 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 blah. All three men have pled not guilty. De Oliveira, De Oliveira told Cannon he understood the potential conflicts that may come up at Thursday's hearing, according to media reports. But Cannon paused and then postponed a separate hearing later in the afternoon regarding Nada after she said prosecutors had raised new issues about his lawyer, Stanley Woodward, that weren't in their legal briefs. Oh. The judge pushed back in particular, ABC News reported, when prosecutors asked for an absolute bar on Woodward cross-examining a witness at the trial. 
whom he previously represented, as well as preventing the lawyer from delivering arguments to the jury. Wow. Okay. So Jack Smith team wants um, Waltine Nada's attorney, Stanley Woodward, to be barred from cross-examining at least one witness at trial and wants him left out of delivering argue, any argument to the jury. So like case in chief, the closing argument, opening argument, like that. Quote, I do, no, I do want to admonish the government. This is from Judge Eileen Cannon. I do want to admonish the government for frankly wasting the court's time. She added that she would potentially set up another hearing to address outstanding questions on the lawyer conflicts. And I want to see the video. It has a screenshot from their... I wonder if they just included this. Because it looked like there was an in-person hearing with them. Maybe that's B-roll, though. Maybe this video isn't actually from this week. That's possible. It doesn't have a date stamp on it. All right, anyway. Thursday's hearings were scheduled following court filings by Jack Smith, alleging Woodward had a conflict of interest after representing several witnesses in the case. Quote, a hearing would permit a colloquy with Mr. Woodward's clients to inform them of potential risk and inquire into possible waivers, Jay Bratt wrote in a 10-page motion in August. Quote, the court may also wish to procure independent counsel to be present at the hearing and available to advise Mr. Woodward's clients regarding the potential conflicts should they wish to receive such advice. In an order scheduling Thursday proceedings, Cannon had requested Smith's team be prepared to, quote, articulate the nature and scope of particular, particular, uh, excuse me, articulate the nature and scope of the potential conflicts along with, quote, any evidence in support. Woodward represents a number of Trump associates as well as accused January 6th rioters. In their August filing, Smith's prosecutor said they raised the potential conflicts at issue with Woodward in February and again in March with connection to his representation of NADA and Trump employee number four, who was later identified as Mar-a-Lago IT director Yusil Tavares. That revelation later raised eyebrows publicly because the superseding indictment revealed a private and seemingly incriminating conversation between Tavares and De Oliveira, a Mar-a-Lago maintenance worker who was added to the case as a co-defendant in the superseding indictment. During that discussion, De Oliveira told Tavares that, quote, the boss wanted servers holding the private club surveillance footage to be deleted, according to the indictment. Prosecutors allege that Nada arranged that meeting to help execute a cover-up. Okay. This person, Kathleen Falders, reports for ABC News, and she was there. She had a uh, this thread going about it. Let me see. Special counsel requested the hearings. Okay. Woodward previously, <clears throat> she's not threading. She's just quote tweeting herself over and over again, which is a terrible way to use Twitter. You should thread, lady. Anyway. 
Let's see if there's any new information. The hearing was derailed after Judge Cannon became furious at the special counsel prosecutors after introducing new arguments without warning. We, quote, could have done this without circling the wagons, Cannon said. News. Judge Eileen Cannon has postponed the hearing for Trump co-defendant Walt Nada after potential conflicts of interest with his lawyer, Stan Woodward, because she said the government introduced new arguments related to the matter. Cannon admonished the government for wasting the court's time. Quote, without question, Mr. Woodward should be foreclosed from cross-examining Trump employee four. Prosecutor David Harbach said, Judge Cannon, quote, that's a different argument than what was in your papers. No, Harbach said, to which Cannon replied, where did you make that? Harbach then told Judge Cannon that Walt Nada should be advised of the potential conflict of interest issues at trial. Cannon said, quote, advising him is different than a request for a cross-examination ban. Okay. Okay, so that's, that's why she's pissed, is that this was about to hear conflict of interest arguments, potential conflict of interest. It wasn't about limiting, or at least they didn't, he didn't argue in his motion that it would be about, or any information he filed with Judge Cannon, that it would be about limiting Nada or De Oliveira's counsel's ability to cross-examine any witness. It was just about making sure the defendants knew about potential conflicts of interest. So that's why she's pissed. That's why she's, that's the new argument. That's the argument that's not in the filing. Okay. I think overall she's pissed at them. This isn't the first time that Judge Cannon has gotten upset with uh, Jack Smith's team. Okay. What time is it? 11.30. All right. There's no new filings in this. Um, but since I have a little bit of time and Twitter started working again, uh, let me show you guys. I want to make sure people saw this. I wrote a big thread on um, a new superseding indictment of Senator Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey. Do I have any coffee left? I have water. Okay, good. Thanks, Goat Herder, or Coat Herder, Quote Herder. I don't know how to say it with the Q there. Thank you very much for the rant. Appreciate it. Ambrogent. Hey, good to see you, man. Thanks for the rant. He says, can't get the image of Weissman out of my mind when hearing language in the special counsel Smith's motions. P.S. Processing firewood and going over court motions is my favorite yearly nerd therapy. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Hope you're doing well, man. Yeah, Jack Smith is like Weissman. He is. And all right, before I go to Menendez, final comment on this whole back and forth with uh, Trump's Doc's case and him asking for an extension of the schedule, right? And to move the trial date further out, to move the whole schedule further out, at least um, he's asking to at least mid-November 2024 after the election. Of course, that's unacceptable to the special counsel because the special counsel's job is to get Trump before the election 
and try and somehow prevent him from taking office, right? Like that's the whole thing here where we all understand that. But I got to say, what do you think Trump really wants here? What is actually best for Trump as far as the election and um, his campaign? I still believe that these these cases against Trump are his campaign. And so Trump wanting the trial to start later in November 2024, I don't think it's just about the delays with the documents. I think it's about making sure this part of his campaign continues well into the election season, right? Like, let's say all of these trials happen in the first half of 2024. Well, that would mean that they're all done before the convention. They're all done before the final uh, third, the fi- like the, the drive from September, October into November and the 2020, everybody going to the polls in 2024. So I think it would be most advantage advantageous to Trump for at least some of these trials, especially the federal ones to continue a little bit further and deeper into 2024, because it keeps, it keeps him looking like the guy that the deep state is after. And it keeps him in the news. It keeps all the attention on like he, it just, it makes it, it's just better. It's, it's part of his campaign and yeah, so I think Trump wants a delay of this. I want the, he wants the trial date moved. And I think that he has good reason for it to be moved because of the whole situation we just went over. But I also think perhaps the main motivation here is to make sure he can campaign on being the target of these indictments a little while longer. And I hope that happens. Um, he asked for at least until mid-November 2024, after the election. I think it'd be pretty nice if that was it, like if that's what she said. Like if she just said, okay, that's what we're going to do, is extended it until November of 2024. That sounds pretty perfect, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right, let me zoom in on this a little bit. There we go. All right, so Menendez had already been indicted, you guys remember, back um, a few weeks ago. Robert Menendez, his wife, and then a couple others, his Egyptian contacts were indicted. Um, I know that Hannah, Wael, Hannah has been arrested. I don't know if the other defendants have been arrested in this. I'm not sure. Um, Probably find on the docket somewhere. A superseding indictment came out, which I don't get all that many predictions right, but I do get some right. And this is one that I did get correct. I said back when he was indicted that there was a um, FARA investigation going on, a counterintelligence investigation that was also going on um, in regards to Menendez and that there's probably going to be more charges. And I was correct. Here they are. He was hit with this superseding indictment yesterday, and it charges him with um, another count. So it makes four total counts 
Um, and this one is a conspiracy uh, to act as a foreign agent on behalf of Egypt. So I, what I did, I didn't thread about this indictment when it came out. I didn't have the opportunity to, um, but I was waiting for this charge to drop. And um, so what I did yesterday on X is I just wrote a thread that focuses on his foreign involvement with Egypt, because I have this hypothesis that part of what's going on with Menendez, whether it's intentional or not, um, this is excellent narrative warfare, I think, um, this indictment from Menendez or for Menendez. Because what he's being accused of and the charges that have been brought against him are very similar to the charges we would want being brought against the Bidens. And so I love that this indictment has come out now and it's seeded into the collective mind, to borrow a terminology from my friend Burning Bright. It's seeded into the collective mind, an indictment of somebody who was being paid by another nation to influence U.S. foreign policy as it happened. And so I just, I did love that this comes out first because the media can talk about this to their audience, which are in their own siloed, you know, they're, they're all siloed on the left over there and normies are siloed in Normieville with their media. We're to some extent siloed over here on the alt media. And this indictment can inform people in those silos and introduce them to these concepts of how these arrangements work and it sets up for more information to come out about the Bidens later just primes primes the pump I guess you could say all right so there's some fun things in this that I just want to grab real quick first the way this indictment goes it starts off when it gets to the part about the FARA violations the foreign agent violations it starts off by quoting Senator Menendez's previous public statements and um, letters about FARA violations. So check this out. Back in um, 2020 and 2022, or between 2020 and 2022, Menendez made multiple requests for the Department of Justice to investigate another person for allegedly failing to register under FARA. He sent a letter to the Department of Justice National Security Division in asking them to investigate another former member of Congress for failing to register as an, a foreign agent. And later he sent a letter to the Attorney General um, asking them, hey, you need to look into this former Congress member about him working as a foreign agent. And it says, quote, the act is clear that acting directly or indirectly in any capacity on behalf of a foreign principal tar triggers the requirements to register under FARA. That's what Menendez said. He also said, if the former member of Congress carried out work that requires registration under FARA, it is imperative that the Justice Department ensure he is held to account. <laughs> so I just I love this because the prosecutors are starting off with Menendez's own words on this very crime. And they're using them against him because they then go in to tell you about how he was a foreign agent of Egypt. So the way it worked, Nadine Menendez was his girlfriend, now wife. And Wael Hannah um, was their Egyptian contact. And beginning in 2018, 
they worked to introduce Senator Menendez to Egyptian intel and military officials for the purpose of establishing a corrupt agreement. Now, it doesn't say this specifically, but I kind of wonder, I don't know the history of Nadine Menendez's relationship with with Robert, but I wonder if this was the whole thing. She was She's an agent of Egypt or similar, and um, <clears throat> she was sent to compromise him. I don't know that that's true. But the route that this influence went was from e Egypt officials in the military and intelligence to Wael Hanna, the Egyptian contact, to Nadine Menendez, who was Bob Menendez's girlfriend and now wife at the time, now wife, um, to her and then from her to him. They introduced Senator Menendez beginning in 2018 to Egyptian intel and military officials for the purpose of establishing a corrupt agreement. The Egypt side provided hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes to Senator Menendez and his wife in exchange for Senator Menendez influencing the Senate and U.S. government to the benefit of Egypt. Menendez was well placed in the Senate to exert some influence. Why? Because during this time period, he was on the Committee for Banking and Housing and Urban Affairs the Committee on Finance, but most importantly, he was the chair of the United States Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. And that's why they targeted him. He was literally in the most powerful position he could be in in the Senate as far as influencing U.S. foreign policy. Good morning, CanCon. Egypt was among the largest recipients of U.S. military aid between 2018 and 2022. The U, that, that would be the time period they were running this operation on Menendez. The U.S. sent Egypt grants of over $1 billion per year and sold military equipment to Egypt. As chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Menendez had substantial influence over these transfers of aid and equipment. In fact, he literally had to sign off on them. Previous to the corrupt setup established between Egypt and Senator Menendez in 2018, Egypt faced more scrutiny in the Senate and had more difficulty receiving aid and equipment from the U.S. But then they met Senator Menendez and that all changed. Senator Menendez's uh, then-girlfriend, now-wife, got a, quote, low or no-show job as part of this corrupt arrangement. The Menendezes and their other corrupt conspirators even met in the senator's office and memorialized it with this photo. Isn't that nice of them? I love that they did that. It's going to come in really handy at his trial, this picture of the entire corrupt group meeting in his office. All right, on May 6th through 7th of 2018, Menendez put U.S. Embassy staff at risk. By obtaining non-public, highly sensitive information about embassy staff from the State Department, this would be the embassy in Cairo, he then texted that information to his then-girlfriend, who forwarded it to Wael Hanna, who then forwarded it to an Egyptian official. Now, it doesn't spell this out in the indictment, but... 
what it does quote from the text, it says, just FYI, a number of Americans, combination of diplomats. So it said like how many Americans are in the U.S. Embassy and says they're a combination of diplomats, commercial service, U.S. aid and other. And then it says there's a number of Egyptians, locally employed staff. This is what's at the American Embassy. And then it says the ratio of Egyptians working at the embassy to Americans. Now, Senator Menendez didn't just like go, oh, I should let them know how many people work in the U.S. Embassy. They might be interested in that. No, I don't think so. No. Egyptian intel requested personal information about the staff at the U.S. Embassy in Cairo. And Senator Robert Menendez, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, went to the State Department, acquired information about the personnel serving in the U.S. Embassy, and then transferred it, that, inf that information, to Egyptian intelligence. And maybe it doesn't, it doesn't say there could be more than what they included in the indictment here about the staff. It just says the number of Americans, number of Egyptians. But think about how valuable that information would be if you were another nation. Just knowing the number of people who are in the building and the number of them that are American and the number of them are that are Egyptian they can then deduce how many they haven't found yet or they don't know about from that. So if you were an intelligence operation and you were trying to figure out who works at the embassy, what they do there, what their names and contact information are, etc. If you had this information, you would know the total number of people who work there. And then you could compare that to how many you knew about and you would know how many you're missing. And then by knowing how many are American and how many are Egyptian, you could then categorize the number that you have and divide them. Like if it's like 50 and 40 of them are American and 10 are Egyptian, you could then know, okay, there's 10 Egyptians that we need to target for infiltration or surveillance. Okay, there's 40 Americans. We need to find out if any of them can be bought. You know, and see what I'm saying? Like, it's not, this information like seems like, eh, why does this really matter? It's not classified. But if you're doing intelligence work, this is actually a really great piece of information you need to develop on your own at first to get started at picking apart the embassy. See what I'm saying? And it's disgusting that, somebody in his position went and gave this information because it's it puts all of these people's lives at risk and their family members' lives at risk. Egypt, Egypt could then go on to sell that information to, I don't know, maybe a group like Hamas. May 2018. Senator Menendez provides non-public info to his Egypt contact regarding U.S. military aid to Egypt. This was one where there was a uh, ban on small arms and ammunition um, being sold to Egypt. And Senator Menendez, um, it doesn't say how much he influenced that decision to lift that ban, 
but he made sure to let Egypt officials know as soon as possible before it was public that the ban was lifted. Also, May 2018, Senator Menendez Ghost wrote a letter for an Egyptian official who was seeking the release of $300 million in military and aid to Egypt. So this Egyptian general guy comes up later in this. He um he contacted Menendez to ask for his assistance in getting $300 million in aid that was on hold because of humanitarian concerns and other things having to do with Egypt at the time. Senator Menendez literally ghost wrote the request letter from this person in Egypt and then had them sign it and then gave it to the Senate. And then Senator Menendez argued on his, their behalf. July, 2018. Senator Menendez and the other defendants met with Egyptian officials. Menendez was given briefing materials outlining the foreign policy and aid objectives of Egypt. The day after the meeting, Senator Menendez used the power of his office to sign off on about $100 million of tank munitions for Egypt. So Egypt literally told Senator Menendez, hey, here's our foreign policy goals and our aid goals. Could you go ahead and make these happen in the U.S. Senate? And the very next day, he signed off on $100 million of tank munitions. May 21st, 2019. Senator Menendez, the other defendants, and Egyptian officials meet in the senator's office. They discuss a resolution of a claim by an American citizen who was injured in 2015 by an Egyptian airstrike. Egypt had not compensated the injured American, and because of that, some Congress members were objecting to the awarding of certain military aid to Egypt. A week after the meeting, Egyptian official number three texted Wael Hanna that if Menendez could help resolve the matter, quote, he will sit very comfortably, comfortably. We'll take care of him. Hanna replied, orders, consider it done. And then both of them deleted the text messages. Egyptian official three then texted screenshots of a statement from the injured American's attorney, which were then forwarded to Menendez. So they're asking for him to basically tell the Amer the injured American to shut up about trying to get compensation from us and quit making so much noise because other members of Congress are noticing and it's causing us trouble. While Hannah had promised Senator Menendez's wife, then girlfriend, Nadine, a low or no-show job at a company called ISE Gel Halal Certified. Now, the, the story I just told you guys about this injured American is bad enough. This guy put an injured American, he ranked them below the people in Egypt who are paying him to influence the U.S. Senate on behalf of Egypt's foreign policy goals. Okay, so that's disgusting enough. 
he should be that, you know, the right thing to do would be for Senator Menendez to advocate on behalf of this injured American, right? Now, this one right here is even worse. ISEG Halal Certified Incorporated. This guy, Hana, or Hannah, I don't know how he's supposed to say it. He runs this, basically, it's a shell of a business, okay? Hana failed to make um, this happen. He didn't, he was supposed to give Senator Menendez's girlfriend, now wife, Nadine, a no-show job here and pay her as part of her, the arrangement uh, for the bribes. But this company, ISE Jill Halal Certified, had no revenue. It was just a shell company. It didn't have any money going through it, okay? So they needed a way for it to have money going through it. And Nadine, because she hadn't been paid, started complaining to the Egyptian contacts, hey, you guys are supposed to be paying me some money, and you haven't, and I'm getting really upset about it. And it may actually at one point made them worried that their operation um, to use Senator Menendez within the Senate was going to fall apart. So what ended up happening, and this is incredible, in the spring of 2019, all that bitching that Nadine Menendez was doing worked because Egypt gave this barely existing company, ISEGEL Halal Certified Incorporated, they gave them a monopoly on certifying exports from the U.S. to Egypt as being compliant with halal standards. So to resolve this issue so that Senator Menendez's girlfriend could have a no-show job, the government of Egypt made ISEG Halal certified, a business that had no year-over-year revenue and did nothing, the sole certifier of U.S. exports to Egypt for being compliant with halal standards. April 7th of 2019, Hana learns, oh, guess what? Egypt just made your business that doesn't actually exist a monopoly in this regard. The next day, Nadine texted Senator Menendez, quote, seems like halal went through. It might be a fantastic 2019 all the way around. Then, June 2019, the Menendez's former Strategic International Business Consultants LLC, the LLC was used, they formed this to use it as a recipient of the bribe payments. So the money comes to ISEG Halal Certified, and then it goes to Strategic International Business Consultants, a shell company of the Menendez's, and then they pay themselves out of that to launder the money, to hide it. The monopoly on halal certified exports caused a disruption in the market and prompted the USDA to create a report as well as offer productions to the Egyptian government. Naturally, as soon as they got this complaint, the Egyptians went to Senator Menendez for protection. And what's going on here, and it doesn't say how big this is, I don't know how much, how, how much food is exported to Egypt from the U.S. that has to be halal certified, okay? But it impacted the U.S. agricultural market enough 
that the Department of Agriculture got so many complaints about it and prices of food in the U.S. literally went up because of it. And it impact all the businesses that used to do stuff that was halal certified now can't. So they're out of business as far as that goes. Also, Senator Menendez can receive bribes from Egypt. So this thing right here, the last thing was disgusting because it impacted one American who was injured in a strike. This impacted, I don't know how many Americans across the whole country. Also, Nadine Menendez could get a few thousand dollars. And then when the USDA went to the Egyptian government and the US government, the US Department of Agriculture was like, yo, guys, why did you give this one company monopoly on this stuff? There were multiple companies perfectly capable of doing the halal certification and had been for a long time. And this change has disrupted the US market. It's caused prices to go up. This isn't a good deal. The Egyptian government went to Senator Menendez. So the defendants went out to dinner at a DC steakhouse. All of them. Nadine Menendez asked the Egyptian officials and her contact, Hannah, what else can the love of my life do for you? And we have this video of them at dinner and just the looks of this video or this image. I mean, it makes me think that they were being surveilled. Like this video, I think this is a, or not video, sorry. This image, I mean, it may be a still image from a video, but I bet that um, they were being, they were being surveilled by this time. After receiving some briefing materials from his Egyptian contacts, Senator Menendez called up the USDA and tried to bully them into shutting up about ISEG halal and its monopoly. He didn't go and advocate for there to be other companies being able to certify and it to not be a monopoly anymore. He didn't go and advocate to Egypt on that. Hey, we need to do a different arrangement because this is impacting far too many people. He said, Yo, USDA official, you need to shut up. This is causing me problems. Luckily, the USDA official did not accede to Menendez's demand. I wonder if he'll be a witness at trial. The ISEG Halal Company got the monopoly from the Egyptian government so that it could have the funds to then issue bribe payments to Senator Menendez and other defendants. In total, ISEG Halal issued three $10,000 checks to Senator Menendez's shell company, Strategic International Business Consultants, LLC. In 2019, anyway. This one right here, I pulled out this quote, our man Menendez, because this has to do with a Another instance where they're talking about aid and um, the uh, it introduces other members of this conspiracy. One of them is Fred Davies or Dibies. And then there's one other guy. His name's not here yet, but he comes up in just a moment. More Egyptian officials are introduced. And um, 
Let's see. This is the one that has to do with aid to Egypt. And um, then there's another instance. And Senator Menendez gets involved there to try and help Egypt out, of course. That's his job. And then in September 2019, um, defendant offered to provide assistance to Egypt during an official trip to India. And during this trip to India, Wael Hanna, the contact who's been arrested as part of this, texted Egyptian official three and he called Menendez our man. So it says, quote, our man, meaning Menendez, is traveling to India after two weeks and he is asking if there is any message we need or anything for the ISEG. So he's basically, Senator Menendez is completely bought off by Egypt and he messages them saying, hey, I'm going to India. Y'all need anything? Get it? And then Hana texted Egyptian official three and literally called Menendez our man. I really hope the prosecutors make a point of that. That that is how the Egyptians saw Menendez as our man. Our man in D.C. Our man in the Senate. All right, March 2020, Menendez, Nadine Menendez, text Egyptian official three, quote, anytime you need anything, you have my number and we will make everything happen. A few days later, the defendants meet and talk about the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, a major foreign policy issue for Egypt. April 2020, Menendez sends a letter to the Secretary of Treasury, which at that time would be Steve Mnuchin, and the Secretary of State, so that would be Mike Pompeo, urging them to, quote, significantly increase the State Department's engagement on negotiations surrounding the dam. So Egypt is using Senator Menendez to try and make Secretary of Treasury and the Secretary of State use the power of their offices to influence on Egypt's behalf how this issue of the dam goes. Late 2020 into 2021, Menendez is now working for five different Egyptian officials. I'll read that again. By late 2020, <laughs> by late 2020 into 2021, Menendez was working for five different Egyptian officials and getting expensive gifts delivered to his home courtesy of ISEG Halal Incorporated. On June 23rd, 2021, two days after a private meeting with Senator Menendez, Egyptian official five, Hana purchased 22 one ounce gold bars, each with a unique serial number. Two of these one ounce gold bars are the ones that were found in the Menendez's home. And during the search at the time of the purchase, these one, one ounce gold bars were worth about $1,800 each. On October 20 or in October, 2021, the Menendez's go to Egypt for on an unofficial visit as to avoid state department supervision. That was their plan. But a staffer for the Senate foreign relations committee contacted the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, which caused the trip to become a formal, de formal delegation. 
So originally the Menendezes wanted to go unofficial, basically in secret kind of to Egypt and meet with all their corrupt partners, all their swampy friends. But a staffer in the Senate contacted the U.S. Embassy about it, and that caused all these things to get activated as far as the State Department arranging for things with the trip. And so the cover of the trip was blown, basically. However, ever the determined swamp creature that Menendez is, he still managed to meet with multiple Egyptian officials. He even visited the home of Egyptian official five. And we have a picture of that here. It's so nice when these swamp creatures memorialize their criminal meetings, isn't it? I love it. And finally, in January 2022, Menendez and Nadine Menendez sent a link to, um, or Menendez sent Nadine a link to an article that was talking about two pending foreign military sales uh, to Egypt. So like 2.5, okay, let me, let me say this again. Let me say this a different way. Senator Menendez's wife sent her, um, sent her Egyptian contact this news article that had that was talking about approximately two point five billion dollars in military equipment sales to Egypt. Okay, and when she sent this to her Egyptian contact, that'd be Yael Hanna, she wrote, "Bob had to sign off on this." So what's being communicated here is that, hey, by the way, this $2.5 billion in equipment that your country wants to buy, it doesn't happen unless my husband signs off on it. All right. And the whole time I've been reading this to you guys, like I said at the beginning of it, I mentioned how it was a narrative seeding, right? How this is so much like the Bidens. And I think that whether it's intentional or not, this indictment and their crimes being exposed right now is like an appetizer to the Bidens and it's seeding into everybody's little silo of information about in whatever way it can, in whatever degree it does about how this swampy arrangement worked between a Senator and a foreign country, in this instance, Egypt. And there's so many things in here that are like the Bidens and Ukraine, or the Bidens and China, or the Bidens and name another country, <laughs> Kazakhstan, Russia, maybe more. There's so many things right here that are just like it. I mean, for the gold bars, you got the diamond, right? You got the diamond that was gifted to the Bidens. Um, talking about foreign policy, military aid, U.S. foreign policy and about whether or not we were going to send more weapons to Ukraine, more ammo to Ukraine, the Havilins, uh, Javelins, Havilins. Everybody knows it's really a Havilin. People are crazy. Um, you can't take advice on how to pronounce things from somebody from lower Canada. Okay. Uh, especially not a word like Havilin. 
And then right here, Senator Menendez ghost writing a letter to lobby the U.S. on behalf of Egypt. Are we going to learn about something like that? I mean, there's so many things in here that seem analogous to the Biden's corruption scheme. The LLC, and it's, it's like a downsized version. It's a smaller version of it. But I wonder how many... Did, did Senator Menendez learn to do this from Senator Joe Biden? I don't know. But I sure love it being exposed now. Seems well-timed. Okay. Thank you guys for being here today. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the thumbs up. That helps me out over on Rumble. Move up the algorithm. And um, yeah, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I haven't checked the news stream. Hopefully we're not going to find out there's a bunch of jihadis uh, successfully carrying out attacks anywhere. And um, try to stay sane through the weekend. My dogs are going crazy. They must know I'm ending the show. So thanks guys. If you're interested and supported the show, check the description of the video, check my link tree. You can find all the links you need to, uh, to support the show. And I appreciate all the support given here today. Um, yeah. Thank you for the rants and the kind messages. I appreciate everyone. Y'all have a blessed weekend. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. God bless, and I will see you on Defected this Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. See ya.